they are weak, why do you wait? The Duchess has powerful allies, including your Jedi friend, Kenobi. He is also responsible for our exile. Perhaps fortune brought us together. It is the will of the Force. We can help you reclaim Mandalore. And punish Kenobi for his trespasses. We allied ourselves with Sith before. Count Dooku, he betrayed us. Sith are no better than Jedi. They claim to be powerful, but we put these two back together after the Jedi gutted them. Doubt will only lead to failure. Hold! Our combined strength will be rewarded. Mandalore will be yours, and Kenobi, this Sith pretender Dooku, and all our enemies will fall. Check on your brother. We'll put it to a vote. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Uto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to Send in the Clones! In this episode, after their defeat at the hands of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Hondo, Darth Maul and Savage Opress forge an alliance with none other than Death Watch. Their goal? Build an army made up of the most fearsome crime syndicates in the galaxy. Hey, Troops, it's your old buddy Bucho, and I'm a Clone Wars rookie on my first ever watch of the Clone Wars. And next to me in the dropship, he's on his third ever watch of the Clone Wars. He's the Maul to my Savage. It's a trusty bro, Robbie. Hello, everyone. And we are going to talk about the 102nd episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology written by Chris Collins, directed by Kyle Dunleavy. It's Season 5, Episode 15, Eminence. So Robbie, how about we roll out with you letting us know what you remembered about Eminence before your latest rewatch. Death Watch. That's like the main thing that I remembered about this episode was that this is where Death Watch and Maul join forces. And what's funny about it not really funny okay whatever just cut that please hilarious <laughs> it's not funny at all amusing what's interesting about it is that at least from my perspective is that i couldn't remember them kind of grabbing every crime syndicate and bad person i didn't remember all that i just remember that death watch was involved which in a way is you know the whole point of it is that really it's about death watch and maul working together toward a common goal but they kind of don't really want to work together in a way you know and it's kind of that's a lot of fun it's mutual advantage but they definitely have their own plans in place and in mind when the episode opens we find maul and savage in bad shape drifting barely alive through unknown space as we're told in the intro and it reminded me actually of brain invaders at the end of brain invaders when ahsoka and barasophia basically frozen and powered down and it's a similar situation but on that occasion something that did not happen no dark saber wielding mandalorians cut their way into their ship not like happens here and of course we see that that dark saber wielding mandalorian is not alone 
and I had two thoughts immediately here. The first is that one of the fun things about this show is seeing the big guns cross paths, right? And only last episode, we had Maul and Savage make the acquaintance of everyone's favorite space pirate, Hondo Anaka. And here only one episode later, in the chronology at least, rather than the release order, we open the episode rubbing our hands together at the promise of Maul and Savage meeting Previsler in the Death Watch. And if you haven't seen this episode before, like I had for us rookies, this was a surprise and an exciting setup of a lot of promise. And the other thought I had was that this is the first Darksaber Clone Wars episode that we've watched since the Darksaber turned up in the finale of season one of The Mandalorian a couple of weeks ago. And I don't even know if either of these things that popped into my head that I've just mentioned are even comment worthy, Robbie. Aside from maybe the first point, maybe kind of falls into that category of storytelling decisions which risk making this supposedly massively expensive galaxy feel oddly small and incestuous, but I loved the introduction of this episode. Oh yeah, I mean this is, it's one of those things like, yeah, the the last time we saw it, at least in the Clone Wars, was back on that beautiful planet where Ahsoka and Lux, you know, had their little run-in with Death Watch. But here, I almost feel like Death Watch is back on track a little bit. In terms of having honor, right? Yeah. And Maul even mentions the honor thing, which is something you mentioned in that A Friend to Need episode yeah. that they seem to have lost. Yeah. And it seems like they've regained their focus. And like you said, their honor, their their duty, I guess. You know what I mean? It's Because that's what I've always thought of Death Watch as being. I don't like this idea. Now, I mean, they're going about it under Pre Vizsla, which some consider to be unnatural. No, <laughs> uh, the wrong way to go. But you know what I mean? It's They seem to be a little more focused now and not just, hey, we're just going to pillage because we have power over the week, you know? Right. So, yeah, I mean, that that is definitely welcome. And, of course, anytime you can have the Dark Saber, you know, that means Pre Vizsla. And he's always an interesting time. And, of course, one of the interesting things that he brings to this episode is that he and the Death Watch take the brothers to Zanbar, where we get an interview scene, basically, in which Pre Vizsla learns from Maul that the brothers are one, brothers, two, Sith. Three, Sith who consider themselves the true lords of the Sith. Four, seeking fortune and power. And five, enemies of Pre Vizsla's favorite Jedi, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And also Dooku, of course, who Savage has a bone to pick with. So they have these common enemies. And then they repair Maul's legs so that now he seems to have feet again instead of claws. So that's nice of them, Robbie. Maul is becoming more and more the Maul that we knew in episode one as he's going through this transformation of perhaps his personality he's going through physical transformations at the same time in the show yeah and the thing that i really like about the way that they have treated maul you know the way that they've kind of continued his story is the last time we knew him we thought of him as like that tiger just uncontrollable rage and impatience and all that kind of stuff and then we see him insane, and now we see him cold and calculated. He's still got that rage that fuels him, but he's very forward-thinking. And I really like that, because it makes him more dangerous, especially to, well, to anyone in the galaxy. You know, the Jedi, the Separatists, Sidious, Dooku, anyone. Asajj Ventress, if she ends up getting back involved with it, all of it. Anybody that comes into his path is in danger. And that makes him very, very compelling character and of course he's kind of paired here or at least thrown up against pre Vizsla and just after that pre Vizsla and Maul sit down for a cuppa and that's when pre Vizsla tells 
his story. Do you, do you guys have that phrase, cuppa? I don't think America thinks of a cuppa, do you? No. That's a very English sort of phrase, a cup of tea, basically. Right. They sit down for a cuppa. Right. No, right? I got you. That's when Pre Vizsla tells the story of how modern Mandalore is being ruined by pacifists who've taken away Mandalore's honor as a warrior people. And then that's when Bo-Katan points out that the Death Watch have been betrayed by Sith before. And Maul does the old Force Chokeroo, which is dramatic enough, but then it gets even more dramatic because Pre Vizsla decides to let Maul continue to hold the choke while he delivers his spiel about how the combined might of the Death Watch and the brothers will take down Mandalore and Kenobi and Dooku and they'll have fun doing it. And an even further twist on that moment is that after Maul releases Bo-Katan and leaves the room, it's a little bit hard to tell because she's got an evil face, but it seems like She's happy about it. It seems like she's not too mad first at Pre Vizsla for letting Maul choke her and maybe not even too mad at Maul for having done what he's done. I guess she's just respecting that this dude is for real and he's got some sort of power that they can use. Oh yeah, and that's exactly what I read into it as well. Like you said, it's the enemy of my enemy is my friend and when you can have somebody as insanely powerful as Maul and Savage on your side, I mean, especially, I think once they get to Black Sun... And they do what they do there. I mean, at that point, they've got to be, you know, both previously Bo-Katan, anyone else on Death Watch has got to be like, oh, man, we're going to get this. I mean, this is going to be simple, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, they are definitely formidable against anyone. So, yeah, I mean, it just gets more and more interesting. And they just keep turning it up. They don't stop. Yeah, that scene with the Black Sun is a ton of fun. But before we get to that, there's a scene in the operating and recovery room where Maul tells his brother... Savage, who now has a bionic arm and everything, so these two are getting body modifications as we go through this story. Maul tells Savage that they have the Death Watch right where they want them, and that's the point at which Pre Vizsla and Bo-Katan enter. And that's when Savage finally begins to rise off the operating table to his full monstrous height. He gets to his feet, and the score is ominous, and it's building with this menacing rumble as that giant Zabrak nears his full height and hits his head on the operating table lights. So Kyle Dunleavy and Chris Collins are reminding us that as dark and scary as all this is, we're still having fun here, Robbie. Oh, yeah. Like, I love how the music drops out at that moment. There's like this rumble building up and it looks ominous, ominous, and then he hits his head. <laughs> and at the exact moment where his head hits it, all the rumble and all the menace drops away and there's just like a light and airy string thing, you know? It's a beautifully played comedic moment. It is comedic, but it's also like, I guess I just didn't realize how much bigger he is than Maul. I mean, it's the first time that you really kind of get a sense of scale with those two, at least that I can remember. Well, I think Maul is also shorter. They took off those, you know, devil <laughs> robot legs that Mother Talzin gave him and have given him some legs that are more like leg legs. So I think he's, I mean, my understanding is that he's actually a little bit shorter than he was before. And, yeah. you know, that helps the bars seem gigantic. Yeah, it's just, I mean, again, you just got to look at those two and you're going to go, I don't want to mess with these guys. Like, I, that's the one thing about the whole Black Sun thing. It's like they walk in and they start... Yeah. I mean, you got to kind of go, okay, wait a minute. All right, time out. You know, before you start making accusations and, and threatening violence and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I don't know. That's just me, but hey. Well, what I enjoyed about these Black Sun gentlemen, especially the first ones, the Tan Moj, I think that's how you say his name, is that he looks as massive as Savage does. Right. And so as soon as we see a shot with those two sharing the frame, I'm thinking, oh, those two are going to throw down. They have to, right? That, that has to be the way this episode is going. Yeah. But it turns out that's not where this episode goes because it's not where this episode goes. And we should uh, mention as well that they're on good old Mustafa here. This is where the Black Crime Syndicate lives. And they are from 
a video game that I should have noted down, Robbie. Do you know which game they're from? The Black Sun? I think they're from, uh, I think they're Shadows of the Empire? But I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I should have looked that up before because I thought I knew what it was. And just in this moment, I realized I should have noted it down and not trusted my bung old memory. But anyway, they were introduced in one of the Star Wars video games. And here we meet them in the show for the first time. On good old Mustafar. And of course, they ask this large, scary looking Feline gentleman called Zitomoj to take them to his leader. And for some reason, the leaders of the Black Sun decide to mess with Maul and Savage and Previsla. So Maul, almost warily... I mean, at some point in this episode, we've got to talk about how great Sam Witwer is. We're getting repetitive, sure, but man, Sam Witwer is great, right? Oh, yeah. And he almost warily sort of shrugs and sighs and gives Savage the go-ahead to maybe smooth their way a little. And more ducks out of the way. And that's when Savage ignites his double-bladed lightsaber and he hurls it like a spinning disc of red-hot death across the room. And about one second later, there are five feline heads lying on the table and Zaton Moj is gulping. And all of a sudden, he's very agreeable with the proposal that the Black Sun should ally themselves with their visitors. After careful consideration, we will join you, he says. But anyway, how about this scene? This decapitation, this five-way decapitation moment, Robbie, that's, uh... That'll get your attention. And it almost reminded me of Ahsoka's beheading of yeah. the Death Watch. You know what I mean? In a way. But at the same time, I don't remember them showing a lightsaber being thrown with this kind of deadly accuracy. Right. You know what I mean? This is the first time we've seen something like that in this show. And wow, is it effective. You can totally see why anyone would just say, okay, uh, we'll talk yeah. now. You know? We're with you. Yeah. It was Shadows of the Empire, by the way. Confirmed! Well, it doesn't take too long before Previsla starts to get the picture that Maul considers him less a partner than a means to an end, but it also doesn't take long before they've collected another crime world ally, the Pike Syndicate, Robbie, who are from the Pike species, so that's pretty easy to remember. <laughs> and then, of course, they go a-knocking at the door of the huts on Null Hutter, and when the huts don't seem keen to join the party... Maul goes back to the old join us or die well and that's when we see that the huts have a few familiar faces lurking in the shadows and the first we see of course is Embo bursting on the scene and then there's Lutz Razi and Denga and Sugi is there too who's a Zabrak just like Maul and Savage and she's the one who throws the first punch which isn't really a punch it's actually a knife that she throws straight at Maul's forehead and I've always liked Sugi all the way back to Bounty Hunters she seems like someone to root for so I was quite sad when she did that, Robbie, because I thought this is going to be the end of Sugi. But it turns out that the huts and their bounty hunter bodyguards are a tougher nut to crack than some other crime syndicates. So a massive scrap breaks out, including a full-on fight in which Maul and Savage take on Sugi and Embo and their dog, an Anuba called Maroc. And somehow all three bounty hunters don't end up dead. But someone who does end up dead, Robbie, that's Aruba the Hut. This scene was awesome too. Tell me about how much you love this scene. And I'm talking about this whole fight scene all the way up to Aruba the Hutt getting waxed. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was fun to see, you know, all of those familiar faces again, too. Some of my favorite bounty hunters that we've met. I enjoyed seeing them all, and I was actually worried for them because I didn't want to see yeah. any of them get killed. Sure. But yeah, luckily they get away. But yeah, killing Aruba. Aruba, I guess I should say. Yeah, that was kind of shocking. And it was just like, man, Maul is making some big moves here. And this is some, part of the thing that I didn't remember. I didn't remember that he goes that far. That goes basically after every crime syndicate and gets him on board. I mean, I just didn't remember all of that. So, yeah, that was fun for me, again, you know, to see that. 
You know, I think a lot of Star Wars fans will relate to more in this episode because he's basically become a collector, right? And a lot of Star Wars fans are collectors. It's just that he collects crime syndicates. <laughs> yeah. And Star Wars fans collect Star Wars figures, you know, and Lego toys and what have you. But it turns out that killing Aruba the Heart is yet another canny negotiating tactic on Maul's part because once they get to Tatooine and smash their way to an audience with Jabba, the big man decides that perhaps it is best if the Hutts do join Team Maul after all. So the two takeaways from this episode for me, the themes if you will, are that intimidation works real nice on criminals because there's always a bigger fish, right? Right. And the underworld of the galaxy is learning in this episode that Maul is a bigger fish than all of them. And in some ways, it feels like Maul is not just using the dark side of the force, but dark side kind of psychology, right? He's playing on fear. His whole deal is that he uses fear and intimidation to accomplish his goals. But it's also in contrast to what we know of how the real big daddy of this universe, the real big fish, is playing this game. It still feels, after all of Maul's success in this episode, that Sidious is playing 9D chess while Maul is really just playing checkers. You know, it's really a brute force thing. He started off getting super lucky by having the Death Watch find him and basically turning that to his advantage through mostly intimidation and brute force. But if Maul is playing checkers, man, that's a really spectacular game of checkers, Robbie. No, he's doing well. He's doing well, but it's actually kind of interesting if you really think about it. Oh, I really think about it. I, it actually, it doesn't really take a whole lot of... Just it, It's it's one of those things that's just interesting. Sure. So we've got Death Watch on his side. We've got Black Sun, the Pikes, the Huts, but not Hondo and his pirates. Yeah. It's kind of weird, right? Of course, I mean, you could probably say that Obi-Wan has a lot to do with that, but, I mean, it's kind of interesting. So anyway, I just, I love the, it just seems like it ramps up every single move he makes. It's just ramping him up and it's like, I'm kind of worried about the Mandalorians now, you know? Yeah. Or the, I should say the planet of Mandalore because man, have they got some dangerous people coming. They sure do, Robbie. And we got to talk about our standout shots of the episode and... There is so much in this episode that I'm not even going to try to guess what your favorite shot is. But I'm going to go first for once. I'm going to say that when we follow those three Death Watch ships to Zanbar to a nighttime landing, which is one of the coolest looking and most painterly landscapes of the entire show so far. All those deep blues and grays and that rocky Mesa type terrain with the three moons and the mostly clear sky. But there's also clouds, you know, adding extra texture and depth to the shot and there's a river running through it's just i mean when we think about where we're going on our star wars galaxy vacation this seems like a sweet sweet planet to visit as long as the death watch isn't there i guess but there's also those campfires you know it's just such a magnificent shot it's about five seconds long but i snapped about 37 screen caps of that shot robbie but did i steal your shot of the episode or do you have another one you did steal it i mean that was my exact shot and the the even more is I really like the sense of scale as the camera kind of pans around a lot of the, the campfire and, of course, the people come into view. And the way that that ship lands in the background, it adds yeah. this real feel of, wow, that's a, that's a lot bigger than I thought it was. And it's just, it's one of those things that it kind of makes you, or at least when I was sitting there watching it, I just went, seriously, went, wow, man, that looks good. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's my exact shot, too. Even though, as you said, there are plenty of shots in this episode that are probably, you know, screen grab or wallpaper worthy. But yeah, that was definitely my favorite shot of the episode, too. Yeah, well, they go to visit all these different planets, and every single time we get a shot of the Death Watch ships, you know, 
basically approaching each of the different planets and each one of them just looks awesome and yeah there are tons of sweet action shots in this episode too that could have been chosen but i think it says something about that one particular shot of the death watch ships returning to zambar that both of us ended up choosing it so a deserving standout shot of the episode and before we bring this one in for a landing robbie we need to sum up and give our ratings so after your latest watch of eminence robbie how did you like it and where does eminence sit on that four star robbie scale well, for me, this one is, uh, I mean, gosh, it's another three and a half. There's so much that happens. And again, the fact that I didn't remember them basically collecting all of the different crime syndicates out there, it just speaks to how much happens in this episode and how fun it is. And it's so fun to see a bunch of our, you know, old friends, some some old bounty hunter friends that we have there. I mean, it was just a lot of fun. And it was almost like a who's who episode. And it felt like, I could be wrong, but it felt bigger and more epic than a lot of the episodes yeah. previous to this. I mean, it just really felt big. Now, I will say, even though the ending of that droid arc was pretty epic with the explosion, <laughs> but sure. I mean, character-wise, it just felt huge to me. So it was just, it's a great one. What's funny you say that about feeling huge character-wise, because I didn't feel like it ever revealed any new sides to any characters. How do you mean character-wise it felt huge? I meant the amount of characters. Gotcha. All those bounty hunters, yeah. Yeah, the sheer number of characters. And it was just like, oh my gosh, they're in Jabba's palace. Oh look, there's all these. Oh my gosh, there's Dengar. There's, I mean, it's just, there's so much going on. It's so much fun. Yeah, it's a ton of fun, Robbie. I've got it at eight death watch jetpacks out of 10 and if there had been any character revelations or character advancements it would have been an easy nine this is a solid 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 eight so i'll be looking forward to seeing this again one day when i do a rewatch but that is mission accomplished for now for season five episode 14 eminence so robbie won't you please let the troops out there know if they want to tell me that i was wrong for only giving it an eight and it should be a nine or a ten what are our communications channels well we are bucho and robbie at gmail twitter and instagram that's B-U-C-H-O-A-N-D-R-O-B-B-Y. Yes, sir. And of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 103rd episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's season five, episode 15, Shades of Reason. And until then, this is your old buddy, Bucho, alongside your trusty pal, Robbie. And we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform and Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Bucho and Robbie at gmail.com. May the force be with you.